the work we've been doing for free for years on the telephone, answering questions and giving advice can very often be pivoted to a telemedicine visit that generates revenue and provides a better level of care to the patient. Hello, I'm Dave Gans, MGMA Senior Fellow for Industry Affairs, welcoming you to the Executive Session, a monthly discussion with a healthcare leader on a critical issue of interest to medical practice executives. As the COVID-19 pandemic has spread throughout the country, many patients have expressed are reluctant to risk being exposed to the virus by coming to their doctor's office for an in-person visit. In response, many medical practices substantially expanded their use of telemedicine to accommodate these patients and to minimize their potential exposure of their staff and providers to the virus. In a recent interview, CMS Administrator Seema Verma stated that telemedicine use increased 40-fold over pre-COVID-19 usage. However, as practices increase their use of telemedicine, many doctors and patients have expressed concern that the level of care may not be equal to the traditional office visit and that telemedicine could compromise the physician-patient relationship. At the same time, some healthcare leaders describe the problems with telemedicine as growing pains that can be overcome with training and increased familiarity with technology. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with William Hambish, Bill, Chief Executive Officer, North Florida Women's Care, Tallahassee, Florida, and Dr. Richard Schlossberg, Pediatrician and Chief Administrative Officer, ABCD Pediatrics, San Antonio, Texas. Additionally, Bill and Rich are part of MGMA's leadership. Bill is chair of the MGMA Board of Directors, and Rich is a board member. Bill and Rich, please introduce yourselves and describe your background and your practices. Thanks, Dave. Uh, this is Bill Hamps. Uh, first, I want to say thank you for the invitation to participate. This is a very uh, sweet spot of mine. I love technology. I'm a nerd with personality is how I brand myself um, and love uh, the conversation we're having as it's so important. I have been with my practice here in Tallahassee, Florida for 23 years. We are a 33-year-old OBGYN practice, independent practice, nestled uh, right here in the uh, capital city of Florida. And a great group of physicians. We have 11 doctors, six physician extenders, and growing. I'm looking for more. Uh, It's interesting in this COVID world. Uh, that we're looking to expand our practice as we've been very busy. We're very prideful of our technology uh, to leverage patient engagement on many levels and to add telemedicine services to our patients this year has been a dream of mine for several years and glad to see it actually come to fruition. And I'm Rich Schlossberg. I'm a pediatrician at ABCD Pediatrics in San Antonio, Texas. I've been with my organization for about 25 years or so, Uh, and we grew from a small little strip center practice to a now five-location, 22-provider organization in San Antonio and the surrounding communities. I, like Bill, am what I like to call myself a closet nerd, though those around me say uh, the secret is out. And uh, too, I'm so excited about talking about telemedicine and and its implementation in in medical practices. My practice implemented EHRs before they were cool. It was uh, around 2003, and I looked like I was going to 
supersize my fries at the fast food restaurant as I charted. And we were thrilled at embracing that technology at that time. And it's obviously grown exponentially in, in the years since. So this is a great topic today. You know, let's start with a discussion of some of the unique aspects of using telemedicine in pediatrics or in obstetrics and gynecology practices. In pediatrics, you almost always have both a patient and a family member on the visit. And of course, in OBGYN, you have scheduled pre and post delivery visits, as well as acute care. Uh, what are some of the other aspects your, of your practices that impact telemedicine? I can tell you that so much of pediatrics is an in-person experience. Seeing families with a brand new baby and how their feeds are going, giving immunizations to infants, looking at developmental milestones are really better in an in-person experience. And I may have been a skeptic prior to the pandemic, but post-COVID has shown that there are definite areas in pediatrics that can thrive in a telemedicine environment. I, I personally think that most of my behavioral health patients can be easily managed on that platform. And many other follow-up visits and sec what would have been a second visit in my office can now be on a subsequent date via the telemedicine platform. And it's quite seamless in instances like that. Bill, what about OBGYN? Well, like Rich's practice, much of what we do requires provider to have hands-on examination of the patient. So uh, we are very um, selective in what types of services that we can provide. But when COVID hit, uh, all of a sudden we saw a massive drop in our patient population, over 40% drop in our gynecology practice side. OB really not so much. Those patients wanted to come to their appointments. Uh, they needed to come to their appointments. And so it didn't quite fit for prenatal visits to have those through telemedicine services. But many patients were canceling their appointments due to COVID fears. And, you know, as the patients were canceling, we had scripted some dialogue for staff to ask if they were canceling due to COVID reasons and to offer them that same slot as a telemed if they met certain medical you know, conditions that were an eligible appointment type for that. But also you know, with patients having to juggle their kids out from school, it was difficult for them to participate in their visits because they just couldn't manage their personal lives and their appointment at the same time due to limitations in themselves. It's a great opportunity for us to continue that patient's treatment without having to worry about, you know, the kids coming with them or, you know, to worry about rescheduling to a time where they could have found some uh, other resources to help take care of the children. Another aspect is where Tallahassee is, we're somewhat like an island in that once you get beyond Leon County, it's rural. I mean, you're talking about the next closest city is probably at least 30 miles away. And we, have, we service areas as far as like maybe 80, 90 miles. So those patients may not have the luxury of, of traveling that, that far away. So having options for those individuals that live a distance away is a great option. We had many of our families during the quarantine stay at second homes or grandparents' homes or out of town, and just having the ability of a telemedicine platform allowed us to 
manage and stay in touch with our patients and was very reassuring to them. They weren't at urgent cares or ERs in strange towns. They're actually talking to their provider. Yeah. Rich, in fact, that raises an issue of what happened with your patient volume in March and April when COVID first, uh, first affected practices and the communities. I can tell you from a pediatrician's perspective, it's what I call the dark days of the latter half of March and most of April. We had days where we were running 15 to 20% of traditional volumes. Our March data showed that we had a great start and a dismal end. We only saw about 50% compared to 2019. April was about the same. And in looking at our our very small numbers with a rapid deployment of telemedicine, about a third of all those visits were telemedicine. So for us, it was somewhat of a lifeline. Bill mentioned some points earlier that were very valid. Parents and families didn't want to leave their homes. If you had a healthy child for a routine visit who didn't need immunizations, why would you go to a doctor's office where sick people go in the early stages of the pandemic where very few people understood the severity or the contagiousness. So no well care for the older patients were coming to our office. Our younger families with babies and immunizations also showed hesitancy and we had slight diminish, but some of our baby vaccines uh, continue to come in. And of course, the safety precautions families were taking to avoid COVID, staying at home, masking, not going out, was actually a great way to minimize community illness at the time. We had almost no strep throat. We had very little respiratory infections in infants. Typically that time of year, a pediatrician's office is filled with babies with RSV, secondary ear infections from upper respiratory infections, tons of strep throat from our school-age kids. And those were all but wiped off our schedule. So again, our lifeline during those dark days of March and April were telemedicine visits and a trickle of young immunization infants coming into our office. There's a lot of discussion about a potential fall wave of COVID-19 that's going to be affecting the country. And I think in many parts of the nation, we're seeing a substantial increase in COVID cases. Uh, What are you doing today to prepare for similar concerns of what happened back in March of patients not wanting to leave their home or not wanting to come to the doctor's office? I think in pediatrics, it's been a lesson of education. We explained to our families of the very simple things they can do to minimize their risk, the risk of their children, and risk to others. In in my experience, it's been well-received. I explained it to my families that if you play by the rules of keeping yourself and your family safe and following some basic recommendations of masking, hand hygiene, and avoiding large crowds, that they are doing not only their part, but the part for uh, society as a whole to reduce transmission. In terms of numbers getting worse, we are watching closely on the pediatric front about school attendance, outbreaks in schools, outbreaks in daycare centers, and probably the most worrisome are our older adolescent patients that are in high school and college and their role in the spread of COVID. Fortunately, as we speak today, we are not seeing a huge uptick in my community among our patients 
Bill, what is happening in Florida with your patients? And because I know Florida has been in the news quite frequently. On this, <laughs> and it's yeah, you gotta love Florida. Florida is just a special state um, that we all are crazy to live in, but it's an awesome, beautiful place too. We, in our own community here, which is very different, you know, we're a very different environment than South Florida. Uh, we're more rural, even though we're a state capital. Our statistics for testing positive of those being tested has been pretty steady around 7%. And most of those are younger population demographics. So they're obviously a little bit healthier, uh, less admissions into the hospital. So we've been relatively able to manage this well. But like you said, I, I fear that the fall, uh, like many other countries that I'm hearing about, are starting to see a, a big spike again. And you know, with everyone's a bit uh, COVID fatigued, that they might let their guard down just a little bit and that might produce another spike here in the States again um, and mixing it with the flu and uh, you know we're trying to do everything we can to help vaccinate all of our patients with flu um, doing special flu clinics on Saturdays and such there, there is going to be that fear that we'll see that happen again like we saw back in March and April but this time we're it's a little bit better because we're ready for it you know we've learned a lot over the past you know six months of how to handle and where to put our patients on the schedule and, and managing all that. So I feel more prepared, you know, should we see another spike again? Hopefully we won't. One thing that you mentioned was that you're better prepared. And I can tell you, we were all swimming in a sea of question marks on severity management treatment advice. And it seemed like the advice was changing rapidly uh, in, in the early part of this pandemic. I would have instances where parents would say, is this COVID? My only answer was, well, it could be, because symptoms vary so vastly in the pediatric population. They would then ask, well, can you test? And I said, testing's available, but it's going to take a while. When can I go back to work, life, or school? I would say, it'll be a while. And where we stand today is much more prepared than we were in April and May. My office just received our testing equipment. And just yesterday, for the first time, I was able to run a test in 15 minutes for COVID and tell my patients that, thankfully, the sibling set had my first case of flu for this season, not my first COVID uh, with my new machine. So I was never so happy to see the flu. But we are prepared to test and we are prepared to give quick answers. And that, that's going to be a game changer should our numbers spike this fall. I think the optimism of not seeing a surge after Labor Day and not seeing a surge after the onset of the school year gives me cautious optimism that it won't be as challenging as we had last spring. But I think, Bill, you mentioned people get comfortable and people, as they get comfortable, return to their old ways and letting your guard down is, is going to put, put us at risk for a spike. You know, also, uh, I think this, let's look a little bit more at some of the specifics on how you're using telemedicine. And Rich, I know many of our listeners are unaware of how broad a scope of care occurs in pediatrics and also how telemedicine, as you mentioned earlier, is an, early, is an ideal platform for certain types of behavioral medicine visits. 
and sort of unique to pediatrics, the issues with ADHD or anxiety or depression, and how these patients can be steered to telemedicine, as well as patients with have simple issues such as a follow-up to a lab or allergy tests where they don't need to be back in the office. So can you give a little bit more insights into how you're implementing telemedicine in your pediatrics practice for these types of patients and others? Yeah, well, ADHD and other behavioral health problems really do lend itself to telemedicine because it is primarily a discussion with the patient and its communication and physical exam findings are less important than, for instance, my child's ear hurts and I have to have eyes on an eardrum. So I, I will typically meet a patient in the office who I have a relationship with and do an evaluation for a potential ADHD, for instance, or potential depression. The discussion with the patient and the family usually is pretty involved. We usually implement some treatment. They may see counseling on the outside. I may be prescribing medications. But the most important thing with our behavioral health patients is near immediate follow-up in the weeks to come. Knowing that I've done an exam initially, those visits can be done on their time, at their convenience, at their home. I can see how things are going. They're often more comfortable in the environment of their home or bedroom than they are my office, especially adolescents in a pediatrician's office. So it gives me insight to their environment. You can see the poster on the wall of the teenager's bedroom. They're more relaxed. We're having a conversation much like the office, but it's on their terms and their place. And there is a silver lining to that communication in those types of instances. In identifying patients who may fall into a complaint that lends itself to telemedicine, we gave our schedulers guidelines and pointers on the types of visits that would lend themselves. For instance, a rash. I was just in the office last week and I have this shot that was given and there's a, a rash around it. Could it be from the shot? Well, what used to be a free service on a telephone can now be a telemedicine visit with a very quick answer and a medically informed opinion that generates revenue for the practice. That's a win-win. Uh, Bill, you know, OB-GYN has unique visits also that lend themselves to telemedicine in a very similar way as Rich described for pediatrics. So can you give us some of your insights on what you're doing with telemedicine for some of the specific aspects of your specialty? To get things going for us, I created a spreadsheet that listed several medical conditions that met or did not meet the criteria for a telemedicine visit so that my staff could reference this. And it was specific to each of the providers because some preferred more in-person versus telemedicine for different types of conditions. So uh, those that, you know, and, and as I said earlier, OBGYN is a very hands-on experience, but there are many times that we can treat the patient through audio and video capabilities. A lot of counseling, so things like contraception, we have a, a, a large young population, especially with three you know, universities in town. And these young ladies are very comfortable with things like FaceTime and, and Skype. So that was great for them. Also for menopause management, there's HRT, hormone replacement therapy, counseling. There's you know, everything from medications, if they're having some complications with medicines or 
need a refill on a medication, there's some options there for them. You know, mostly on, on the GYN side, you know, even preconception planning, you know, these are the just conversations that don't require a physical exam. On the OB side, it is very, very difficult for us to do. But there are some conversations that we can have typically at like postpartum after they've had the baby. Uh, we would normally have the patient come back in routinely for a six-week follow-up uh, postpartum appointment. During COVID, when we had a huge drop in our, our population of patients, I was able to shift our uh, physician extenders so that they could do a full telemed schedule for like a morning or an afternoon, just taking care of our postpartum patients. Previously, I would, I would have this already in place, but it was one of my nurses that would have the delivery log of who delivered each day. They would call the patient and check on them. This way, by having the provider do it, it, it was somebody who the patient was already familiar with. They saw them during their pregnancy. It was a bonding opportunity for them. They could see the baby after delivery. So it's like closing the loop uh, for the patient and for the provider to have that opportunity to, to bond and, and have a good conversation. But what we found is, so we scheduled them one week after the delivery. So this is before they would come back in for their six week postpartum appointment, we would schedule an additional postpartum at one week uh, after delivery. And we've identified and was able to uh, treat patients with many conditions, such as you know, postpartum depression, or there's some counseling around uh, breastfeeding, those kinds of uh, conversations and questions that may not have come up during their pregnancy because they obviously weren't there or manifested at the time. So the patients have embraced this and loved having that opportunity to connect without even having to come into the office. They still came to the office, which is great. Um, and it was a good opportunity for us to fill the schedules for the providers to, you know, have revenue that was generated from that. You know, Medicaid in the state of Florida is billed every single visit as opposed to our commercial insurance, which is a global OB experience, is not separate. Uh, but there were many times that we've identified things that were outside of that global period that were conditions that were separately billable and reimbursable. And with our insurance community here, which is great, we have a local HMO that was covering 100% of the telemedicine visits, no co-pays. It was, you know, not to stress out the patients of having to worry about, you know, finding ways to pay it remotely, you know, not being at the office. So uh, that's over 50% of our patient population. The patients absolutely love this. And this is something that even after COVID, uh, regardless of the reimbursement issues, I feel it's such a good patient advocacy that we are taking care of them you know, more frequently and taking care of them afterwards to maybe uh, diagnose and treat things before they even come back six weeks, um, that we're gonna be doing this much further beyond uh, COVID. Yeah. You know, uh, Bill and Rich, you know, you've earlier, you talked about educating the scheduling staff on which types of visits are best suited to telemedicine. Uh, so in addition to your scheduling staff, what role do the medical assistants or your other nursing staff have during a telemedicine visit? Well, during the implementation, people have to be comfortable with process. 
and inserting a telemedicine visit into your day-to-day -day workflow is challenging. My practice decided to not block a physician for telemedicine shifts, but insert a telemedicine type of appointment into our regular workflow. So you might have a well visit, you might have an acute sick visit in person, you might have a consultation, you might then have that followed by a telemedicine visit. So we created a type of visit, and really the only difference is that you are talking to your patient via the telemedicine platform, not in person. But we do it in the exam room, we have preparatory work that our front office staff takes care of with co-pays, documents. Our medical assistant staff may get a history, not via telemedicine, it may just be a telephone call to tee them up their visit. And then when it's time to see that patient, they've been warned, they've been worked up, there's two patients ahead of you, the doctor will be with you shortly. The patient sits at home and waits for that text and it's the physician. That workflow doesn't slow down our pace of the day. If the, if the physician had to be the IT support person and the front office clerical person, the medical assistant initial history person, it'd take us 30 minutes to go through what would normally be a 15-minute visit, and that is not sustainable with day-to-day -day workflow. So our changes were minimal. The only difference is the patient's not in our exam room by a type of visit called telemedicine visit. We, we had the same... Uh, design with our office staff, you know, pra practicing at top of license. Uh, you don't want the providers, physicians, you know, extenders to have to do a lot of data entry that typically the MA, you know, or nurse would do on the front end. And with the technology challenges, you know, there were sometimes, you know, different browser issues or just the familiarity with the different, you know, software that we were using. Just smooth, you know, process to get logged on. Those are the challenges that the support staff were helping navigate with the patient so that the physician wasn't having to struggle managing that in the busy schedule that they already had these appointments, you know, back to back. And it, you know, it's great because the patients, by the time the physician's going to the exam, everything has been entered and ready to go. The workflow was very comparable to what we were doing for in-office visits. You know, we, we've been talking about the processes you have and your personnel involved. Now, let's talk a few minutes about the telemedicine software platforms you're using, because obviously their features make a big difference. So what are the, some of the system features that you found important in your implementing of telemedicine? I can tell you in pediatrics, it has to be easy. Well, actually in all of medicine, I think it has to be easy. If there is IT struggles, it's a bad experience for all. If there's audiovisual problems, it's frustrating. If you can get a pixelated picture in no sound, it's frustrating for everybody involved. So we have to have a very robust platform with ease of use, one or two clicks and you're connected with high quality audio and visual capabilities. We also need to instruct people how to be good telemedicine users. Let's not sit in front of a bright window. Let's not have a lot of background noise. Let's have the patient and the parent in a quiet place. And our providers actually place themselves in an office or an exam room so it's professional. Confidentiality is maintained. The perception of a confidential doctor visit needs to be maintained. Though the patient's sitting at home, they need to be comfortable that their information is, is guarded. 
you know, one of my physicians was telling me a story of um, patient, I- interesting stories of interactions with patients during a telemedicine. You know, one was folding laundry, you know, while she was on her appointment. Another was driving her car and the physician said, uh, I think you need to pull over. This is not safe for you. And it's very distracting to me because I'm worried about your health and everyone around you. So, you know, like you said, being a good steward of educating patients. And, you know, for me, having something, the criteria number one was HIPAA compliant. I know we're all very, it's important to us to make sure that we use a platform to protect our patients' privacy. Uh, But like, you know, Rich said, you know, equipment, you know, making it so simple to use. I don't want logins and passwords that, you know, patients are going to struggle with either knowing or remembering, just able to click and log in and you're in connected with the provider, simple to use. And and to be agnostic to whichever type of equipment you're using, whether it's a phone, a tablet, a PC, having the ability to be flexible with whatever the technology the patients use was important as well. The platform, whether it be a piece, we, we tell our patients um, a computer with a camera is ideal. You know, iPad is good. A phone is acceptable. But I've had those stories, much like you mentioned, Bill, where the patient was on the playground, the uh, phone's pointing to the sky, the leaves are blowing, the child's running around, and we're and then we had to you know look at the diaper rash, and I'm like, well, this patient just lost all privacy on this playground. So you know, there is a little bit of training involved for sure. Providers need to have the professionalism as if they're in the exam room. And in this era of Zoom meetings where everybody is maybe looking over the shoulder of the person on the computer screen, we don't want our providers to have their cat crawling on the, on the uh, back of the chair or their child walking into the room should they be doing a call remotely from their home. So it, it's super important to create a safe environment, a secure environment, on a HIPAA-compliant platform and maintain the highest levels of professionalism while using these platforms. You know, you, you talked also a few minutes ago about making sure you've educated your providers to present a professional image as far as their dress, the environment. Do, you, do your providers do telemedicine from home or do you always do it in the office? Actually, we have an interesting story with that. We had a provider who was at home, quarantined uh, with COVID exposure, feeling fine, and wanted to work. So that gave us the unique opportunity to actually create a telemedicine shift, and we would stack that provider up with one patient after the other, all on a telemedicine platform. So it actually is a great way to keep an employee who wants to work, working. During the pandemic, we had some employees that had childcare issues, could not commit to a full shift or full day, but could carve out time. Again, it gave us the opportunity to keep that provider working and have them take care of their patients. And I guess one other great upside to telemedicine is that when our physicians are on call, which historically was a telephone call, and they're talking to that patient and the type of complaint lends itself to a visit, they can immediately pivot a phone call into a telemedicine visit Wherever that provider is, they can use the HIPAA-compliant platform, send a text message, and we are now talking to the patient via telemedicine, turning it into a doctor visit while on call, and we can bill a visit appropriately. That used to be revenue completely left on the table. Well, you know, you talked about 
scheduling visits and you talk, mentioned uh, about, you know, do you block a portion of the workday for telemedicine or do you just integrate telemedicine visits with the normal schedule along with in-person visits? I can tell you what we did, which was super helpful. The very first appointment after lunch every day always seemed to be provider heavy and staff light because of staggered lunches. The morning shift went long. We're getting our troops back on the floor right after lunch. Across the board, we implemented a telemedicine visit to launch our afternoon session, which required a lot less time for the medical assistant, a lot less in-house resource, and allowed our providers to get working right away. And then intersperse telemedicine throughout the day with our in-person visits. But starting the shift out with a telemedicine visit really helped uh, relieve some stress on our uh, post-lunch staffing. For our practice, it's really up to the individual provider. Some wanted them uh, a whole blocked morning or afternoon. Some, you know, and that may also depend on their uh, support for childcare at home. They might have certain days of the week that they need to be at home taking care of their children. So we're very flexible, uh, dependent on the specific needs of each of the providers. Our PA is out on maternity leave and when she comes back, she works five days a week and needs to work five days a week, but she doesn't have any support, family support to help her with her childcare. Her husband is an ER nurse um, and can do the weekend schedule for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So she asked if she could do a Friday telemed schedule work Monday through Thursday when her husband's at home. And so I'm able to keep the person working and having you know access for our patients, being flexible with each individual person's needs. Uh, but we can certainly put them at the beginning of a schedule, intermingled into the schedule. That hasn't always worked as well, just because the nature of our business, once we open that door and go behind it, you know, to talk to the patient, we don't know what the story is going to be if it's going to be a quick visit a long visit so to time it that way is a little bit challenging because you want to make sure you're on time for your telemedicine appointments so we like rich you know typically them at the beginning of an office schedule or having a set time uh, block you know one thing we haven't talked about which i think is 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 worth mentioning is that as hard as we try with our scripting at the scheduling side with the type of visit that we're scheduling telemedicine versus in person visit in the office for is that every now and then all good intentions for that appointment blow up in your face and you have to convert what was a telemedicine appointment into i need to see you in the office so i think it's important for practices to understand when that happens how you get them in where are you going to put them is it going to be the same provider? Is it to come in just for a simple flu swab or strep test? Or is there going to be a full exam that needs to be done, which takes more time? We implemented what we call a telemed curbside visit, where we pivot the telemedicine visit from the virtual platform to pull up in front of the office, text us when you arrive, and we will come out and perform whatever specimen swab, lab, or function needed to occur in person. Very interesting. Likewise, a lot of experts have predicted the next generation of telemedicine will involve remote patient monitoring technologies, such as integrating a smartwatch or a connected medical device, such as a glucose meter or pulse oximeter or blood pressure monitor into the telemedicine visit. 
Have you integrated any of these technologies into your services? For our practice, we, we haven't. The nature of our business is not as heavy primary care. Some of it is, but for that area that we do, not necessarily much. There, there are some technologies out there that do fetal monitoring, and it's relatively new and unpredictable, not the quality I think that it needs to be that's to the level of our, our physicians in a comfort level. We, those we still prefer to have the patients come into the office to do non-stress tests. But, but I, can, I can see as time passes and technology advances, where there might be opportunities to do more of that uh, for our specialty down the road. Yeah, like Bill said, our practice isn't there yet in terms of having wearables or other devices um, outside the office. I think our cardiology colleagues, our endocrinologists with glucose monitoring are a lot further along the path. I do think though we're in the infancy of the technology boom. I think that what is just now, this concept of my doctor is not with me, I'm talking across a platform, and there's these things called devices out there. A decade down the road from now will be a web of interconnectivity of devices, data, patients, specialists, all communicating to promote good health. And this is just the first few steps we're in now. And the pandemic has actually proven to us it can be done Doctors move at such glacial speed at times with change in how they deliver care. The pandemic has given us that proof that we can change, change quickly, and it can be for the good. Yeah, you know, we've talked about the different environment from the traditional office visits. Now, you know, we've talked about how you've trained your staff. How do you train your patients who may be unfamiliar with technology? How do you educate that your patients to be prepared for a telemedicine visit? We're fortunate to have a software that does text messaging to our patients, which in this day and age, everybody speaks text. So we can script a text message that we're looking forward to their telemedicine appointment. Please do the following. Be ready here. Watch for the messaging. Please be in a quiet background. So that can be I think they call it bot chatted uh, to our patients. So it's not us typing that sentence every single time. It is an automatic generated message that goes to everybody to at least help steer them into the best experience possible. You know, we, we are like Rich in that we use text. You know, we have a very young demographic population that embraces a texting technology and we use it for different platforms. And so we do have the ability to send a link to the room that the physician or provider goes into, we send it, it's like clockwork, automatically is pushed out uh, by the system about 15, 20 minutes before the scheduled appointment time to the patient so they can uh, test their device and, and get connected. We also have an e-blast that we send out for the upcoming week's appointments uh, for telemed instructions uh, that goes to their email inbox. We also have on our website a big green button that says telemedicine visits and they click that and it talks about you know preparing for your appointment that's by telemedicine and you know making sure that they have uh, the right background and the right environment and making sure that they use certain browsers you know if there's some uh, technology issues so all the things that, like frequently asked questions that we have are typically 
branded on our webpage, very easy to find and, and to do. Uh, so we, several touch points that we do through patient education in advance of that appointment. You know, we've talked a lot about technologies, implementing the technology, and telemedicine has had great growth in the last six months, and it's going to be growing even more in the future. Uh, in the few minutes we have left, uh, can you give our listeners your insights of what do you think will be the future of telemedicine? Well, I think there's going to be a lot more integration of telemedicine into our EHR platforms, connecting with the patient portal. So the experience is going to be much more seamless. Our patients are going to have an app on their phone, which is the uh, patient portal to their provider, the telemed launcher, the demographic adjuster, the lab keeper, and will be all things about that patient. And those technologies exist. We have to just marry them all together. And that's going to make the patient experience seamless to them, tying in all specialists, primary care, and outside labs into one common app. I, you know, facility, you know, that's always a, an overhead issue, having staffing and having uh, space. I always feel like I'm running out of space, and I keep adding more space over, over the years. And, you know, it's something for us to strategize for the future of medicine is, you know, how much space do I really need if I'm going to start seeing more adoption and popularity around telemedicine visits, you know, and then maybe we can even expand the types of services that we're, we're doing, you know, there's in, in women's health, there's a lot of depression and uh, postpartum depression and other uh, behavioral issues that we could help manage our patients through some tangents from what we typically do in OBGYN. So there might be opportunities for us to expand our service base uh, that we hadn't thought of before. And, you know, leveraging the telehealth platform is, is great for that. You know, we also do a lot of treating patients over the phone. And most of that is done free. You know, there's a lot of, you know, visits that typically could be, hand these phone calls could be handled by, you know, converting them to a telemedicine appointment. And so developing some workflows and some scripting for my, my triage nurses that say, you know, this is a great question. We can get you, you know, right away to see one of our providers to discuss, you know, the results of your ultrasound and what that means and what the plan of care will be and and to provide quicker care, uh, better access to care uh, for our patients, happier patients uh, for that. So I do feel that there's a lot of positive, I can't say anything negative about the evolution of telemedicine in, in, in our world. I think it's only going to make it even better. I agree with Bill. This is here to stay. You can grow your practice by 20, 25, 30% by adding that percentage of telemedicine visits and keep your same physical space. Um, I can tell you that I've recouped about a thousand square feet of space. It's called my waiting area right now. Our reception area hasn't had one patient in it since March. And I think post pandemic, the seamless communication of texting a patient car to room and uh, minimizing reception area space is going to be here to stay. Telemedicine clearly is going to be here to stay. And the uh, especially tech-savvy younger patients are going to really embrace and expect that technology and, and that efficiency. 
there's so much more we could talk about, but I know with your busy schedules, your time is limited. Is there anything else you'd like to add to today's discussion? The one tidbit I would advise every practice is what Bill said, that the work we've been doing for free for years on the telephone, answering questions and giving advice, can very often be pivoted to a telemedicine visit with a provider that generates revenue and provides a better level of care to the patient. You know, for me, Dave, I think it's just removing the constraints that were restricted to um, the traditional types of medicine that we've been practicing for over 100 plus years and moving it into the next generation. I think it's going to improve health outcomes, patient satisfaction, compliance, to be able to, to manage patients in different modalities now than what we've been doing and, you know, to embrace it. You know, it's kind of scary. It's different. It's unfamiliar to many of our patients. But I think over time, just as cell phones and text messaging was new to us, you know, a decade plus ago, I think this is going to be second nature and almost probably the preferred method for patients to have treatment if eligible, I think, over traditional medicine. Excellent discussion. Thank you so much for your time. I know our listeners will find this recording most interesting. Thank you.